Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Altar of Incense by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you for your great goodness and your graciousness. I thank you for the position that we find ourselves in in this country. We do pray for our leaders briefly, Father, that you would give them wisdom and may they be guided by your wonderful Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that as we open your word this morning, Lord God, that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us, that, that affections for Jesus would rise in our hearts, I pray, as we open your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. If you've got your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, I, I remember when, uh, when I was in Tasmania, we had a, a couple of reasonably big employers in, in a place called Georgetown. Uh, the first one was a place called Camalco, but it's now Rio Tinto. Another place is called Temco, and they were, they were like smelters. And at Temco, these, these huge, great big furnace smelters, the, these furnaces were burning hot all the time, all that sort of stuff. And, and these furnaces were fueled by coal. And uh, keeping these furnaces going was absolutely imperative for the operations that happened at Temco. But, but apart from all of that, uh, it needed people to keep loading the smelters. And it was, well, it was good paid work. It was shift work. It was good paying work the guys kind of got into. But, but I was thinking about that recently. And, you know, our faith is like that furnace. Our, our life of faith and our, and our Christian walk and our journey and our relationship with God is like that furnace. And, and if, if the furnace is our faith, then, then the coal is grace. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. A, a, a knowledge of God's grace fuels the furnace of our faith. But if that's the case then the shovel that loads the furnace of the affections of our hearts is prayer. If you want to know why it is that our furnaces burn dim, if, if we want to know why it is that we burn dim, then the answer is we've put the shovel down. And for many of us today, I want to lay a challenge. I want to, it's kind of twofold purpose today. I want to lay a challenge at your feet to challenge your prayer life, wherever that may be. And I also want to kind of help you put a little bit of framework around what it is to pray and what that looks like. So many people ask me and the disciples, Disciples of Jesus asked him, teach us to pray. Now, we've got a little bit to get through this morning and we'll get cracking as we do. And uh, so I ask you to bear with me and uh, we will move through this topic if there's no objections. Nobody has any objections to how long I'm going to take this morning? Well, okay, I haven't heard any objections, so uh, I'll take as, as long as I need to for those that didn't say anything. Thank you. But... Uh, when it comes to prayer, uh, we, we've kind of missed the importance of this. And, and I kind of want to move into how Jesus taught us to pray by encouraging everybody, kind of sounding a trumpet call for all of us to uh, examine our lives of prayer. You see, uh, if we read, for example, the parables of Matthew 25, the first parable speaks about 10 virgins. Five of those virgins were wise and five of those virgins were foolish. We know the wise virgins were those that were waiting with expectation and confidence for the bridegroom. And it's all a message for another day to expand on, I'm sure. But, but for right now, uh, the whole point of that was that they kept their lamps burning. They had plenty of oil for their lamps so that when the bridegroom came, they were ready. But the foolish virgins, of course, didn't take enough oil. And of course, their, their lamps burnt down. And when the bridegroom was coming, uh, they wanted oil and they had to go and get some. And it was too late. And in Luke chapter 18, we read a parable about a persistent widow. And this has been sometimes misunderstood and and kind of misconstrued sometimes. We we take this parable of the persistent widow as it's okay to just nag God until we get what we want. The message is you just keep nagging God until you get what you want. Uh, It's all about a widow that approaches a judge and the judge gives her justice. This is a... 
This is an unjust, non-God-fearing judge. That's what it says. And he gives her justice, not because of anything that's inside of him and not because of anything that's inside of her, but because of her persistence or because of her continual coming. Now, the whole context of that parable is surrounding about Jesus speaking about when he comes again, when he returns, when Jesus returns. Uh, and the, it ends with a very, very challenging verse in verse 8 of chapter 18. It says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, when we think about those virgins, what does it mean for us to keep our lamps burning? What does it mean to keep putting oil on? How do we do that? That's what I want to talk about today. Our lamps are growing, are waxing low and, our, and some people's lamps are burning out because we're not taking the time to keep the oil up to them. And the message of the parable of the persistent widow is that our prayer life should be continual. You see, the, the, the tabernacle in the temple in the Old Testament is a beautiful picture of it really, it really is a beautiful, symbolic picture of our Christian journey. And of course, we know that, and I've spoken about this a few times, that you kind of begin in the outer court, then you move to the holy place, which is just before the most holy place where, where God's presence rested. But, but in the holy place, no natural light comes in there. I've said that before. And it's lit by a candlestick, which is a representation of Jesus, symbolic of Jesus, that the only light that penetrates there is the light given by this candlestick and, and there's a table there which holds the showbread and, and also there is a, the altar of incense and uh, in Revelations 5 verse 8 uh, there's, a, there's a message there and the verse says that there was this, this bowl of incense which was the prayers of the saints and this table of incense, this altar of incense that we find just before the most holy place was one that burned all the time. And the idea is that it would fill the presence of God with a, with a gentle aroma. It's like our prayers. But, but the problem is that incense was never designed to burn low. That smoke was never designed to not be there. The message of that altar, the message of the parables, the message of the ten virgins, the message that is coming to us is that we should, finding faith on earth requires that Jesus will find us watching and praying. Jesus had something to say about prayer. Jesus had, he prefixes the Lord's prayer, which is teaching us a model. It's kind of putting framework around prayer. But before that, Jesus has got kind of some prefixes that he would like to outline. If you've got your Bibles and you're in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 5 this morning. And Jesus says, uh, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is the word in the Greek here for hypocrite doesn't kind of mean what we kind of take it to mean. We kind of, we kind of take it to mean somebody with double standards. And that's, and that's okay. That's what it means. But it's not what it means here in the Greek. Uh, the, the meaning of the word hypocrite here is there's a greater emphasis on inconsistency. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You must not be inconsistent. And as I'm laying challenges to your prayer life this morning, we wonder why the flames in our lives kind of burn up and down. We, we kind of wonder why God stands back in some respects. We, we kind of wonder why we struggle to, to kind of know a greater manifestation of His presence. But, but so often... Our prayers, and, and the challenge I want to bring is, uh, are you a hypocritical prayer? And what I mean by that is, is your prayer life inconsistent? You see, what Jesus is challenging here is, there were so many people that just prayed to be put on show. There, there, there were people that just prayed when the time suits. So many people now, uh, so often, prayer is for emergencies only. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like, 
It's kind of like in emergencies, break glass and grab hold of this. It's, it's when everything goes pear-shaped in your life, then begin to pray. It's interesting because if you survey, if you survey everybody out on the street and you ask them, do you pray or have you ever prayed? The answer is most people will say, yeah, I've, I've prayed. But you will find that most people pray only when the proverbial hits the fan, friends. What Jesus is challenging here is prayer is not to be this inconsistent thing. Prayer is not just, you, you don't just ring God's bell when you want something, you know? Why? Because this isn't about a commodity here. We're going to address that a little bit more. God isn't, God isn't your butler. Our prayer lives resemble so often us ringing a bell. Like God is our butler. Like God is just ready to just serve up whatever it is that we want. That's not the intentions of prayer. And there's no relationship in that. But Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And this is really important, this next part, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door or go into your closet. Jesus is teaching us about prayer. First thing he says, you know, prayer is, is not meant to be inconsistent. God is not your butler. The second thing Jesus is urging every single one of us to grasp is prayer is something that's between you and God. And I would encourage every person that's listening to me this morning, do whatever you have to do to find your closet. Find that place where you can be alone with God. Find that place where it's just you and God. Find that place. It looks different for all of us. Some people's closet could be the car. Some people's closet could be, you know what, I, I spend 45 minutes a day each way in traffic and that's my time. I just shut the doors, I turn the radio off, I wind up the windows and it's just me and God for 45 minutes. What, whatever that looks like for you, your prayer closet is about being separate for God. I want to encourage everybody to find that secret place. For, uh, I, I, I marvel when I, when I read this, but Susanna Wesley, the wife of John Wesley, uh, lovely woman of God, but they had like 13 kids, these guys. And I know all the mums are beginning to... Uh, I, I heard it, you know. Uh, Paul, says, uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. And I know the mums at the very least are piping up going, hang on a second, it's all right for Paul. <laughs> he, he didn't have any kids. He didn't, he didn't have to put tea on the table. It's all right for Paul to say pray without ceasing. How many men this morning, uh, when, I, when I say that the altar of incense is a representation of a continual life of prayer, we kind of cut, we kind of section off 30 minutes for God, but that's, that's, that's not the urgency from Jesus. Jesus is urging us to, to adopt a posture of life that's in continuous communication with God. It's tearing down that veil. But how many men are saying, that's all right for Paul? Uh, he didn't have emails, you know. He didn't, have, he didn't have mobile phones. How many of us know that our lives are full of distractions? Yeah, amen. How many of us know that? Susanna Wesley, she had 13 kids. What a wonderful woman of God. But uh, she would sit on a stool in the kitchen. And she had this big long dress and she would sit on the stool and she would throw her dress up over her head. And all of those 13 kids, this is, this is, wow, this is like training dogs. But all of those 13 kids, they knew when mum's sitting on the stool and that, that's her time with God. And she would, in that moment, it would just be her and God. She just closed out the world. She closed out the children. She closed out all that was distracting her. She set aside all the chores for that moment. How many of us know that if you, if you wanted to, your day can very easily fill up with everything that you're supposed to be doing? We kind of have a, a Mary Martha thing going on here. Many of us fall into the trap that Martha had. My eyes are open. I have to get busy. I have to answer emails, return phone calls, send that text message, ring that person, book that appointment, go down to the supermarket, get the kids ready. Okay, yeah. And for some of us here, your secret place might mean you've got to get up a little bit earlier. 
We wonder why we struggle to hear from God. <laughs> we don't, it's not that God's not speaking. It's that there's a possibility you're not listening. More about that next week. Go into your room or go into your closet. Friends, find your closet. I love what Jesus goes on and says, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do or as the pagans do, uh, for they think they will be heard for their many words. I love this, but what's Jesus saying to us here? Uh, don't, don't pray like the pagans. Do the pagans even pray? Well, they, of course they do. We've just, you know, people have moments in their lives where they may not be following Christ, but they pray. So uh, I, I guess you would say the pagan, the pagans do pray. What's Jesus saying here? You know, we, what Jesus is challenging, first of all, is the basis that we think it is that we will be heard. <laughs> Did you catch that? Do not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do because they think they'll be heard because of their many words. It goes on and says, God already knows what you need. Do you know some of the most profound prayers have got like two words in them? God help. I think God knows what you mean before you even ask that. I remember, and I'm sure some people here will agree with me, uh, when it comes to empty words, you know, we get caught up in, uh, we've lost prayer because we kind of overcomplicate it, you know? We get nervous about praying in public because we wonder whether we'll say all the right words or, or we wonder whether we'll say everything we need to say. And did we say the name of Jesus enough in that prayer and all those sorts of things? And we overcomplicate prayer. Prayer is really, really simple, friends. It's a heartfelt communication between man and God, the God. It doesn't have to be complicated. But I, I, I remember the days when I was in the Salvation Army and, and even the days when I was in, I remember one guy, we had a South African guy that was uh, at the first church I went to in Launceston. Lovely guy but he could pray in old King James. Thou art and therefore and where art thou? <laughs> you see, prayer isn't about the words that you use. It's, it's about expressing your heart to God. Jesus says the basis on which you can have a confidence that God hears you is not because of your many words, not because of your theology. Prayer isn't about having all the right theology. Prayer isn't about believing all or knowing all of the right things. Prayer is about communication between two people who are in love. Jesus is now going to go on and he's going to give us the framework for prayer, but he's also going to give us the basis and the confidence by which we can all have to be heard. Let's, let's go on. Jesus says, do not be like them for your father knows that you need them before you ask him. Verse nine, pray then like this. Jesus says, pray now like this. You know, Jesus has began our lesson on prayer by telling us how not to pray. Okay, don't. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Prayer is not supposed to be an inconsistent thing. Prayer is not supposed to be your emergency break. You know, is prayer the steering wheel in your life or is it the spare tyre? That's Corey Ten Boone. Corey Ten Boone challenges when she says, prayer is meant to be, it's supposed to drive all of your life, not just be the spare tyre for when there's a breakdown. And Jesus has told us prayer is not supposed to be inconsistent. Also, prayer is supposed to be a private interaction between you and God. Yes, we pray together. That's, that's all fine. There's a place for that. But there's the, there's the prayer that is between you and God alone. Prayer says, also, Jesus goes on and says, this isn't about the language you use. This isn't about your theology. This isn't about fancy and many long, elongated words. God's not going to hear you the more you keep saying he, God will hear two words because, as Tozer says, he, he inclines his ear. The Bible paints a picture of a God that is leaning in to hear what it is that we have to say. 
Jesus says, you pray then like this. You pray, our Father in heaven. I love this because of all of the words we will read this morning, these two words are the most profound words that we're going to read. Our Father. What Jesus has just said now in first century Jerusalem amongst the people of God, first century Israel, amongst all of them, these two words right now are heresy to everybody that's listening to him. How dare you reference God as your father? We don't even use God's name. How dare you? But but what Jesus is doing is he's establishing the position we have when we approach God in prayer. You can have a confidence that God will hear you because he's not this distant force. He's not this apparition. He's He's not some distant God that's a long way off. He's close at hand. He's your father. He's not waiting to beat you over the head. Our knowledge of God, our knowledge of who He is, our knowledge of our identity in Him shapes our prayer. Shapes our prayer life. It fuels our prayer life. I want to challenge you, who is who is God is to you? You see, one of the greatest examples we see of this is in the book of Job. And uh, we will, at some point, work our way slowly through the book of Job because it's, it's, it's wonderful theology. I, I love the book of Job for many reasons. Why? It teaches us that suffering is probably a part of our life, that affliction and challenges and trials are probably a part of our life. And how we deal with them is what faith looks like, by the way. Uh, faith is, it's not about having enough faith to just get whatever we want from God. No, no, no. Faith is about how you deal with or how you respond to these things. But, but what I love about the book of Job is it's actually one big long book of prayer. Because what happens is in the first couple of chapters, we understand what happens to Job. This is why I love the book of Job. We understand what happens to Job. He loses everything. And the rest of the book of Job is the account of a man that falls in love with God because of who God is. And, the, and, and we're kind of taken on that journey. The more you fall in love with God, the more He's your Father in prayer, the more relationship, the more intimacy, the more closeness there is between you and God, the more He is your Father. But what I love about the book of Job is that Job paints the picture of a journey of a man that falls in love with God for God alone and for who He is. That's the journey of Job. Because where Job arrives to, he arrives at a place where I love God despite what I've got in the physical world. (laughs) Everybody thinks this is just one great big gamble, gambling debt between God and the enemy. That's not what's going on in the book of Job. And it's actually not about Job, it's it's all about God. And what we find in the book of Job is that as he, as he has a greater knowledge of who God is, his prayers become more fuller and more richer. You read the end of it. And here's one of the most profound verses you'll read in the Old Testament. It sums up the complete journey of Job. It sums up the complete, it's the aim of our prayer life. It's the aim of every morning you come to God, this should be our aim. Our aim should be what Job 42.5 says. It should be, once I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but Job goes on and says, now my eye sees you. What's Job saying? I, I, I had a relationship with you that was based on head knowledge. Now my heart, my eye, it sees you. That's what Job's saying. That is the aim of all of our prayer life. Oh, that we would come before God. This isn't about working through lists. This isn't about, this isn't about ticking off. This isn't about ticking the box and saying, I've given God my half hour. This is about a life that is under pursuit of falling in love with God for who He is. He's your Father. That's why next week's really important. Because next week we deal with the Word of God and how that enriches our knowledge of who He is. Job had a revelation, the culmination 
Next week is really important. Why? Because the turning point for Job was when God spoke to him. That was the turning point. Job is talking, his friends are talking, Job's emotional roller coaster goes like this. I, 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 I detest the day I was born, but my Redeemer lives, all these sorts of things, up and down, up and down. And then God speaks, <laughs> and the waters are still, my friends. God speaks in words, even Job says, I've spoken about stuff that I didn't understand. I'm paraphrasing now. But Job arrived at a place where, God, I love you for who you are. That's the work that God's doing in his heart. That is the wrestle of prayer. Which brings us, which brings us straight into the next line. Our Father in heaven, that's the position you have before God. That's the confidence you have to approach him, then that he will hear you. Not because of your many words, not because of your prof- profound theology, not because you can recite scripture in old King James in the middle of your prayers. That's not the basis that God hears you. God hears you because he's your father and he loves you. And the journey of prayer isn't about ticking off lists and making sure we we get everything in line and everything right. The journey of prayer is, God, I want to find you. God, I don't want to hear of you with the hearing of the ear. I want to see you with my eyes, just like Job. That That was Job's journey. Wow. Then Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Wow. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. I remember one lady. I remember one lady, beautiful old saint, that said, you know, by the time I've by the time I get through adoration, because that's what Hallowed Be Your Name is, it's kind of like giving praise and adoration to God. He says, she says, by the time I get through adoration and, and praising God for who he is, she says, I found that all of my requests are inconsequential because I know he'll take care of them. Hallowed be your name. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful the translators didn't, didn't dull down that word. I'm so thankful the translators actually used the word hallowed. It's the word to hallow something is to set it apart as holy. It's to make it holy. It's to honour and to reverence above everything else. Whatever is hallowed is ultimate. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, in the world of AFL, which is real football, you know, where, where men kick the ball, we don't throw it. You know, we don't have these, we don't, it's illegal to throw the ball. That's, that's football. Well, in AFL football, they play that game on many, many different grounds all around Australia. But one of them is the hallowed turf of AFL, and that's the MCG. You see, there's something different when somebody walks out on the MCG for the grand final. That's why the grand finals always played there. It's the hallowed turf. That's where AFL was born. It's where, every, it's where it all comes back to. Melbourne is the, is, the, is the heartbeat of the AFL. VFL is where it all originated, then it spread across. The, and that's the Hallowood turf. What do they mean when they say that? What do they mean when they say this is the Hallowood ground of the AFL? They are saying when, it, when I march out onto there, it's such a privilege. No, no I think you missed that. I think you missed it. What, what they're saying when they say that is that the, the MCG is the hallowed turf because it's a privilege. I, ha- I hold playing here with such high regard that I consider it to be a privilege. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus starts off, he says, your prayer life, our prayer life must begin with Complete adoration. Hallowed be your name begs the question, who are you in secret? Your religion is defined by who you are in secret. You will adore in secret or you will worship what it is that you adore in secret. Who are you when you're not at church? Yeah, it's okay. We come to church. We put on our spiritual makeup. We've been talking about that, haven't we? We put on our spiritual makeup. We can do at times. We, we kind of think that we have to put, put on these masks. And this is, the, this is the only place in the world you can be real. Because we're all a mess. <laughs> huh? You know, can I get a couple of amens there? Preach that one, pastor. But this is the place where you can be real. 
But how often do we come here and we, we sing the songs here, but, but do you sing the songs when nobody's here? Do you praise God when nobody can see you? You see, your, the sum of your religion will be who you are in secret. The measure of your prayer life is what happens when it's just you and God. What words do you use then? How important is God to you then? Jesus says and urges and implores every one of us, begin your prayer life with adoration, praising God, worshipping God, reading through the Psalms. The heavens declare your glory, Psalms 19. Written by a little shepherd boy out watching the stars. The heavens declare your glory, O God. Read through the Psalms and just read out the praises to a God in the Psalms. Do whatever it has to do, but, but adore God. This is all about adoration. We must begin with adoration. But adoration is always fueled by a knowledge of who God is. And Jesus goes on now. He moves on from hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes to verse 10, your kingdom come. We're going to deal with the next line in a moment. Your kingdom come. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus is urging every one of us to pray for the extension. Your kingdom got the extension of God's kingdom. What is, what is Jesus talking about? Where is God's kingdom? What, what does, is Jesus asking God to keep extending the boundaries of heaven? Well, yes. In fact, he is. That's, but you see, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not one that you can measure by physical boundaries. It is determined by, by property of people's hearts. So when we are asking for his kingdom to come, what is, what is Jesus referencing here? What is, what is Jesus urging us to do here? Jesus is saying, first of all, this does apply to unsaved people. We are asking for God's dominion and God's reign and God's rule to be extended here on earth. This is about those who don't know him. Lord God, may your kingdom come in their life. But it's further than that. It's, Lord God, may your kingdom come. Yes, may your kingdom come in my life. May, may your kingdom further, do, may, you, may you reign and rule in greater measures in our lives and in our hearts. May those parameters be extended in our lives. Your kingdom come, oh God. Be careful praying that, by the way. God doesn't share territory. So you be very careful about praying that. I have found over the years that God doesn't share territory. He's not going to let your heart be ruled by any more than one God. If your God is anything in this world, if your, if your God is anything apart from the one true God who spoke the universe into existence, God doesn't share territory. But God does seek His kingdom to come in your heart and in your life. Your kingdom come. And I love this next one. Uh, most people are going to get up and make a cup of tea now. Most people are going to kind of, oh, I've got to go to the toilet, pastor. You know, most people are going to be, whoops, that's right. I, hang on a second. I've just got to go check my phone because this is the uncomfortable one. And I want to ask everybody here today if we can really pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Mm. Yeah, preach that one, Pastor. Yeah, your kingdom come, O oh Lord, your will be done. They're words, aren't they easy words to say? They just kind of dribble off the tongue. <laughs> your, your will be done, O oh God, on earth as it is in heaven, yeah? Do you know what that means? Do you, know, do you know the person that prayed that before all of us was Jesus? Jesus prayed that exact prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he was about to be crucified, Jesus says, Lord God, take this cup away from me. Take the cup of the cross. Take that cup away from me, O God, but not my will be done. Yours be done. And God says, okay. I want to challenge you today. They might be easy words to say and they might be fluffy words to hear. Your will be done, O oh God, but they are hard words to live. Because I tell you why. Because Job teaches us, uh, Peter teaches us, Paul teaches us, uh, teaches us this, that sometimes God will, God's will incorporates suffering. Oh no, don't preach that one, pastor. 
I'm going to make a cup of tea. Sometimes God's will incorporates suffering, affliction, persecution. No, 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 no. God's will is for me to have everything I want and to have a nice, fluffy, rosy life. What what Bible did you find that one in? Because you won't find it in here. No, no, no. Acts chapter 13 tells us that through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. You want the God's kingdom to come in your life? <laughs> you want God's kingdom to overcome your heart? You want his dominion? and Be my Lord. Yeah, okay, no worries. But through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. Your will be done, O oh God. Yeah. Sometimes God's will is starkly opposed to ours. I have felt this. You have felt this. Everybody listening to me today is beginning to go, yes, pastor, we know, but we don't want to hear it. Preach something fluffy, please, pastor. Unbeknownst to everybody, I left my slippers at home. Some of you will get that. Those three words, thy will, sorry, four words. I wasn't very good at maths. Thy will be done. Hardest four words to pray. There are moments in our lives when they are the hardest words to pray. Thy will be done, oh God. Is it your will that I suffer this? Is it your will that I endure this? Is it your, take this away? (laughs) Thy will be done. Prayer is the process of us all submitting our will to God's will. Prayer is the process of us all humbly submitting our will to God's will. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, O God. Whatever tribulations it takes, Lord God, your kingdom come in my life. It's interesting. God's kingdom doesn't come when everything's fluffy and rosy. Has anybody else ever noticed that? That God's kingdom makes its greatest advances in each and every one of our lives in moments like what we're experiencing right now when everything's stripped away from us. Kind of spoke a little bit about that in pastor's comments this morning. When everything is stripped away, then God can do his work. Thy will be done. Jesus prayed, thy will be done. And God's will was for Jesus to go to the cross. Jesus modeled a life of compassion and suffering. And we think that exempts us from that. Sometimes it is God's will to bless you in such a way that you enjoy the fruits of this world. You enjoy the fruits of your labour. You know, children are an enormous blessing from God. I think the greatest problem is that we have a distorted view of what blessing actually is. I want to ask everybody today, as we're kind of examining thy will be done, I want to ask you, if God was to bless you today, what would that look like? If God was to give you the most profound blessing right now, what does that look like for you? Is it that job promotion? Is it that relationship? Is it, what is it for you? Sharing this recently, that What the Bible teaches is God's blessing really is whatever makes us more Christ-like. Whatever God does in your life, the fact that God chooses to work in your life, no matter what that looks like, to make you more into the image of his son, that's a blessing. Because it has a weight that is eternal. If thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, just note here, we're going to move very quickly through the last parts here. I, I, I want to prefix, it is okay for you to ask God for the needs in your life. But I just, I want to talk about this because that's exactly what Jesus is encouraging every one of us to do. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice first, it's our daily bread. <laughs> and notice also, Jesus didn't say our daily dessert. <laughs> It's kind of like, give us today our daily needs. This is, this is us seeking God and recognising Him as the provider in our life. Give us this day our daily bread. The, the reference to daily bread, uh, the greatest analogy of this is the manna in the wilderness. You remember, you remember how, here we are, we've got some, some people say hundreds of thousands of people uh, out in the desert, God's people, Israel, out in the wilderness, out in the desert. No hope. How are you going to feed hundreds of thousands of people and give them water out in the wilderness. God miraculously provided manna from heaven, sweetest manna. But but what's the lesson for us in the manna? God said, you will collect what you need for today. You will trust me to provide the same tomorrow. That's the message. In the, Father, give us today what it is that we need because we trust you to give us tomorrow what we need for tomorrow. And what's the message of the manna? What happened to those that took more than they needed and tried to store it? It rotted. <sighs> Praise God. There, Tozer points to the fact that there is a blessedness in possessing nothing. This isn't about having nothing. This isn't about anything like that. It's just about the fact that we're happy and content with what it is that we have. Whatever that looks like, it's, it's not a desiring more and heaping up more here on this planet. It's living a life that, you know what, God, I'm happy with whatever it is you put in my lap. I think it was Spurgeon that said, if you're not happy with what you have today, if you're not happy and content with what it is that you have today, you will not be content even if God doubles it. How true that is. How true that is. Give us this day our daily bread. But hear the encouragement from Jesus to bring our needs and our petitions before God in prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Has anybody picked up on some really important words that we're beginning to hear now in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day. Forgive us. There's a huge aspect of community right here in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Friends, we are a clean people, yes. Uh, are we forgiven? Yes. Has the blood of Christ cleansed us? Yes. Do we walk a dirty earth? Yes. Are you prone to making mistakes? Yes. There must be a point where we humbly come to the foot of the cross and say, Holy Spirit, I allow you to place your finger on what it is I need to nail to this today. Forgive us our debts. The Holy Spirit might put his finger on that attitude you have towards somebody, those, those words you spoke to that person, the, 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 the lie you told to try and preserve yourself, whatever it is, the figures you put on your tax return, whatever it is. Forgive us our debts, Lord. You can't clean yourself. We are reliant upon God. Jesus finished, as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's a clause and there's a condition there. Forgive us, Lord, according to the amount of forgiveness we issue. Enormous challenge in those words. And forgiveness is, and we covered this, if, for those that, are, that want to know a little bit more about overcoming unforgiveness, we did that message here a few weeks ago and you can go and listen to it. But, but forgiveness is all about absorbing the pain. It's all about releasing the other person and the burden of vengeance upon the other person. And forgiveness is actually not about the other person, it's about you. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The... The Apostle Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, 
He writes it like this, Now to the God who is able to keep you from falling. There is a preservation here. This is lead us not into temptation or lead us not into testing. Lead us not into trials. Sometimes our faith is tested, yes, but and deliver us from evil. It is okay to ask God to protect you. It is okay to ask God to preserve you. It is okay to ask, as Jude phrased it, to keep you. There's, there's some beautiful words in that there, keep me from falling. The whole, the whole analogy in Jude, that word keep is, is very deep and very profound. But the best way to understand the reference here to keep and preservation, uh, keep us from evil, deliver us from evil, the, 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 whole, uh, the best way to understand the analogy is of a rock climber and the apprentice rock climber. And the rock climber goes up and the apprentice comes up behind him and is attached to the master rock climber by a rope. And so long as they are connected by that rope, then what we are asking is if I slip, if I stumble, if I fall, keep me from perishing, keep me from harm, keep me from falling into the hands of the enemy. That's what we're asking for here. Lead us not into testing. Give us the strength to persevere. Yeah, it's interesting how when when I began to look at how prayer applied to the people in the first church, I was astounded at what it was that was on their prayer list. I was astounded at what it was that Paul prayed for, for these churches. I pray that you would have a greater knowledge of the love of God. I pray that he would strengthen you in your inner man. Oh, okay, but what about my new Mercedes, Paul? When have you been praying for that? That's not on the prayer list. It's not on Paul's prayer lists. I pray that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you may be filled with a revelation. Oh, okay. Paul was praying for strength. Paul was praying for their eyes to be opened. Paul was praying. Here's another thing. When Paul was praying for churches, he never prayed for the trials they were going through and the hardships they were experiencing. He never prayed for them to be removed. Oh, okay. Well, what did he pray for then? He prayed that they would have the strength to persevere. He prayed that their faith would increase through those persecutions. May your faith be increased. Oh. It's interesting. Strengthen us, Lord. Keep us, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord. I want to challenge everybody here as we finish off this morning. I want to challenge everybody here. How is your prayer life? For those that were here for our increasing uh, intimacy in marriage, of course, for those that were here, you will know that the number one thing that increases intimacy in marriage is communication. And that, and that intimacy and trust grow as communication grows. And I want to challenge everybody here. How's your communication with God? We want intimacy with God, right? We want the furnace of our hearts to burn hot. And Paul says, be fervent in spirit. It's, it's, it's on one of our core values that you can read out here in the, in, the, in the foyer here. To be fervent in spirit. To be fervent means to bubble over such intense heat that you're bubbling over. How many of us are there right now? You know what? I know I'm not there. I know that when I read this, I was challenged. I know that I'm examining my prayer life. I know that I'm examining my priorities. I know I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to put his finger on things in my heart. And I know I need God's help. I pray as much as possible. I pray every day. I pray whenever I can during the day. You want to know why? Because I need God. And so many people... Say, I want to be closer to God. Okay, well, how's your prayer life? Prayer life? What's that? Friends, if you want to experience intimacy with God, if you want to be heaping coal onto the, you know, prayer is the shovel that heaps the coal on the furnaces of our hearts. But so many of us have got the shovel sitting against the wall like council workers. Waiting for the, for the, for the life group leader or waiting for the pastor or waiting for the next book or that next great sermon or something that's just going to magically fuel and f- the fires that are in our hearts. Friends, what did Paul say to Timothy? Fan into the flame the gift of God that is in you. Fan it into flame. 
If you want to know an intensity, I want to challenge you. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Of course, prayer is a two-way thing. Yes, we speak to God, but yes, we must have times of allowing God to speak to us. We're going to talk more about that next week when we talk about the Word of God and hearing from God. I want to challenge you to not just, yes, separate time, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour to God, but try to keep your life in that continual place. Prayer doesn't have to be any more than one word. Father. It's remembering God. It's fixing our gaze upon God. It's, as Tozer said, it's like a thousand thought prayers every day where we just, for, for a fleeting moment, we just blind out the distractions of the world and focus on Him. I, I, I love, I was deeply encouraged by Wigglesworth. You know, we get transfixed into this small devotional time every day, but I, I love the encouragement from Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth was a man that was emptying prayer meetings because they couldn't stand the presence of God in the middle of a revival. A Yorkshire plumber in England, a guy who learned to read on the Bible. And he had such an anointing, such a residing of the presence of God. I yearn for that in my life. And I know everybody listening to me yearns for the same in their own lives as well. This Christianity and religion is not about adherence to rules. It's about a relationship with the creator. And I want to fan that relationship. And Smith Wigglesworth was asked, how long do you spend in prayer? How long do you spend every morning in prayer? And he says, oh dear, a beautiful lady asked him. He says, oh dear, he says, I never spend any more than about 20 minutes reading the Bible and praying. <laughs> he says, but I never go 20 minutes without reading the Bible and praying. It was, it, it was his whole life. He just, he always had the Bible on him. He was always reading, always praying, always worshipping, always. And sometimes a prayer for Wigglesworth was nothing more than Jesus. One testimony of a man that, that picked Wigglesworth up and was driving him somewhere to a meeting says you could continuously hear him under his breath, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus. Those are the words of a man in love with God. Friends, how's your prayer life? I pray the Holy Spirit would breathe upon the coals of your hearts. Let's put it into practice and pray together right now. Father, thank you that you're awesome. Forgive us that we don't love you as we should and help us to love you more. Help us to see more of you. Help us, Lord, to find you in prayer. Breathe upon the coals of our hearts, I pray, in the wonderful and glorious name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen. God richly bless every one of you. I hope today has helped some of you. Next week, please tune in as we, as we look at the Word of God. Why do we read the Word of God? What should we do? How, what part does it play in our lives? And how can it possibly bring us closer to God? If you've got some questions like that, then, then please, uh, I'll see you here next week. God bless you. God keep you. And may His grace be with you. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.